three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. This is the Can't Wait podcast, our Jets pod here at The Athletic. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris doing the producing as well. If you're watching us on YouTube, welcome. If you're listening to us, uh, welcome as well. Subscribe and rate the show and you can also uh, save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash can't wait to save 40% off. Lots to get to on this episode. We're going to take questions from you, so get them into that chat section if you are tuning in on YouTube. Um, some headlines this week made by the Jets. Quincy Anunwa seems like the career is over. Frank Gore He's on his way in, the career that will never end. And then Sam Donald had a Zoom call this week, which brings up an important question. What should reporters wear to a Zoom conference call? Because you see Connor right now, he's wearing a tie. He's wearing a yeah. shirt. He wasn't. He didn't dress his best for Sam. No, no, I did not. You know, I thought I was going to be in the the comfort of my own home on a, on a Zoom call with the team's quarterback. Just, you know, could wear whatever I wanted. So, uh, the night before that conference call, my my fiance had left the windows open, which which led to a a nice little draft going throughout the house. Uh, I was cold, so I put on a hoodie. I was uh, I had not showered, so my hair was was a mess. So I put on a hat and I went on there to talk to Sam, and and I took a screenshot of of the quarterback talking, and I thought that that was it. And then this morning I woke up and I was getting ridiculed, just unruly ridiculed by my two can't wait co-hosts here marissa and tim for the way that i was dressing and so i said okay fine you guys are right we're gonna go with the uh the suit for today's can't wait because apparently a hoodie in your own house for the quarterback for a conference call zoom conference call with the quarterback is not enough this is it was an oversized hoodie it wasn't like a nice you know put together it was like it, it was looked a, like you rolled out of bed connor i'm not gonna lie yeah see here's <laughs> now here's the this here's the issue i like that that hoodie used to fit when uh, when I was in college and I had put on like the freshman forty was when uh, that that hoodie fit and that hoodie was nice and snug and then uh, unfortunately the downside of of uh, losing weight is that a lot of your a lot of your clothes no longer fit and I guess that was an example I don't remember you can probably still bring it up here on your virtual background you were you were <laughs> the best thing though was that in that screen grab it was it was Sam Darnold obviously the the man of the moment there in the conference and then your picture, your video, but then nobody else bothered to show their faces. So it was just the names of the other reporters. Yeah. Um, what inspired <laughs> you to, that, that's to be visible? Thing. I got to clear this. I got to clear this thing. So if you looked at all of the people that were on the call, the vast majority of them had their cameras open. So originally I logged on and I said, I saw that same like top bar where no, like if, if anyone knows how to zoom or if anyone zoomed before, you can just see the names. So I just saw that. I was like, oh, I guess no one has their video on. Then I clicked the gallery view and saw like 15 people with their videos on. So I was like, oh, shoot, I guess we are doing videos. So I turned mine on and then snapped the video, not real, not snapping the picture, not realizing that literally it's me and then a bunch of name boxes. It was it was brutal. In hindsight, again, like I said, that, that hoodie used to be snug. That hoodie used to be too tight. So I was like, all right, yeah, we'll throw it on. I just want to stay warm, put it on, whatever. And then uh, I, I actually did see it in hindsight when, when Marissa sent it in our, our can't wait chat there. And that's when I was like, oh, boy. So, yeah, so I, I got the, the the suit on, at least for the intro. But now now a lot of it's coming off because it is 
it's not nearly as comfortable as just being in a t-shirt. So, so I got the, I got the professional look to begin and, and we'll debate for all future, uh, what do you call it? For all future conference calls, what we're, what we're supposed to be wearing, but apparently an oversized hoodie and backwards hat is not it. Not the way to go, even in a pandemic. All right, let's get to the news <laughs> as far as the the uh, the Jets go. Quincy Anunua first up, uh, placed on the PUP list. His 2020 season is over. Of course, his 2019 season barely got going. Uh, 2018 season, it's three out of four now where he basically hasn't played on the contract that he signed, that extension, which was $36 million over four years. He's going to end up playing one game for that contract. Um, just an unfortunate situation. And it's ironic because it was one of the few good draft picks and a terrible draft that we can get into as well when we talk about this topic. But but it's a tough end for Quincy Anunua in his Jets career. It's brutal, man, because this was a guy that was among the more talented players I've seen at that position uh, come through, the, at least come through this team since, since I've been covering them. And, and, and the thing about Quincy is that he was never a great receiver as much as he was a weapon, right? Because in, at Nebraska, he was more kind of like their blocker. Like I remember talking to him his second year or first year, right when, right when Chan Gailey started using him as that H back in that H back tight end hybrid role. Um, and he said like, well, you know, it's funny, like in college, I won the award for my team the last three years or four years or however long he was there for most like pancake blocks by a receiver. That's what he was known for because he's, you know, six to 225 pounds. If you've ever met him in real in person, or if you've ever seen him in person, the guy is like, there isn't an ounce of fat on him. Like he is just 225 pounds of muscle. So he's six to an athletic freak built like that. And while he wasn't the best route runner and he didn't have the most sure hands, I mean, he did get himself in, in, in problems like that with drops throughout his Jets career. He was just a weapon for an offense. He was a guy that you get the ball in his hands and you just let him go to work, running people over, moving away from people. He could run away from defenders. The, he was the, the literal example of somebody that is too physical and strong for a defensive back but too fast and agile for a linebacker. And Chan Gailey used him really well. John Morton, I don't think got to use him too, too much because that might have been the year Quincy was hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Jeremy Bates kind of tried, and then this year was the year that he was supposed to really break out with Adam Gase and kind of assume that role as, um, as his new Jarvis Landry. And obviously that didn't happen because Quincy got one game in and, and unfortunately went down. And you know, when you think about him, if his career is over, I mean, his, his run with the Jets undoubtedly is. I mean, this was more um, procedural, if anything else. I mean, it was a, a move for finances that we can get into in, in a second here. But if his career is over, it's kind of going to be always thought of as, as the what if, you know, because he flashed so much that one season when Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall went down. He had 860 yards or something like that. You really saw him start to come into his own. That set the expectations and, and such things were so high for what this guy could do. And then it all just kind of fell apart because of injuries. And when you have a guy that's missed two of the last three seasons with a neck issue and what come next year is going to be three of the last four with a neck issue, I mean, it's hard to imagine or it's hard to see him playing, playing a game anymore. You mentioned the money and the procedural aspect of it. Basically, if they had cut him right now, it would have been over $15 million yeah. towards the cap. But by, by doing this with the pup list and then waiting till next year, it splits that in half. So it's $7.8 million this year, $7.7 million last year. they still year. get the roster spot. That's right. the key is that they also still get the – like by putting him on this reserve pup list, he now goes off the roster. So they have an extra roster spot to use to take, with, with, take a player into camp that might actually contribute in week one. So they can spread out that cap hit, as you said, and also get the roster spot like they would have if they cut him. 
So this went downhill really over the last few months, right? Because Joe Douglas, there was a time when there was some optimism about what was going to happen um, at the combine and then the draft things went downhill and then now you know what happened. So so what do you think happened? Just like he was feeling better day to day, but when he went to the doctor and they did the tests, despite how he was feeling, it wasn't really any better as far as a long-term structural situation. Like that's that's what when I hear how this all went down, that's yeah. what I think of. But what do you think happened? It, it's weird, man, because with this one and with Quincy, it was kind of something where you always thought once you realized uh, after that Bills game that he was going to miss the season with a neck injury, it was kind of like, well, that's it. Like the it, it reminded me in a way I don't I don't I haven't seen the MRI results to say like, oh, this is just like David Wilson. But it reminded me a little bit of like David Wilson when he was with the Giants, where he had a neck injury, missed a season, tried to come back. But they said, like, look, one little hiccup and you got to sit because you could get paralyzed. When I heard Quincy had another neck injury, a second in three years, it was one of those things. Then he was put on the IR and immediately done. It was like, I wonder if he's done done. And and that's kind of how, from talking to people in the organization, a lot of people just spoke that way. Like they realized that Quincy Anunwa was not going to play for the team this year because of that neck issue. When Joe Douglas randomly sounded so optimistic at the NFL Combine, it was almost like did he get some kind of results back that changed that reasoning or changed that thought process or what happened basically. And, and he just kind of was – he was saying he looked good. It's trending in the right direction. He just was – he was upbeat. And I don't know if he was upbeat just because he was at the Combine and he's like a college guru and this was like, oh, it's Christmas, so I get to evaluate players. I don't know if that's why, but I know that it just seemed a little off. And then when he went from talking like that – to before the draft, literally completely changing his um, his tone with Quincy when, when we spoke to him before the draft, and suddenly it was, well, we're going to see, there's the blah, blah, blah. It was like, okay, now now we're back to planet Earth. We're now, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten back to reality here, and it looks again like Quincy's not going to play, and, and obviously that's exactly what happened. And I know there was a test that was coming up that basically was going to be, I think, the deciding factor on this. Um, it was something, a test that Quincy had to pass in order for him to play. And the fact that the Jets put him on the reserve pup list that, that literally ends his season now uh, in April, it's kind of like, well, obviously those, those results that they got back from that test weren't, weren't what they were hoping for. I mentioned that 2014 draft class, uh, famously known or infamously known as the Idzik 12. Um, yeah. It's rough. He was the last one remaining on the Jets. There's not many left in the NFL. Here's the list of names, the 12 players taken in that 2014 draft. Calvin Pryor, Jason Morrow, Dexter McDougal, Jalen Saunders, Shaq Evans, Dakota Dozier, Jeremiah George, Brandon Dixon, Quincy Anunua, Aikai, and then... I don't even remember how and to Pali, his and name. And Impala. And Impala. No, I say And Trevor Riley. Uh, it was a rough draft. And Nunwa was one of the bright spots at one point because a sixth rounder who had kind of become something. But uh, I guess one thing in the, the Joe Douglas era is you hope that this, this 2020 draft is the opposite of the 2014 draft. Yeah, th this was the year, 2014, this draft, I wasn't covering the Jets yet. That draft actually was when I was still covering the uh, the Giants for SB Nation and Big Blue Interactive. So I wasn't a part, I didn't know anything about the Jets. I didn't know anything other than I knew John Idzik was their GM. I didn't know too much about it. So uh, the crazy thing, though, is I remember like the first story I ever wrote on the Jets for, uh, I think it was about.com when I, when I was covering for them, was actually the release that they had for Jalen Saunders in like week three because I was covering the Giants for like that OTA mini camp training camp. And then the, uh, the regular season started, and that's when I started covering the Jets for About.com and the Journal Inquirer. And I was doing, like, features. Like, I was doing, like, a feature a week. Uh, but the 2014 regular season was when I started covering the Jets, but I was not covering them before this draft. 
going back and reading some of these names, it was like, guys, the craziness, like I said, they, I, I was covering the team this season when this draft class was in there. I don't even recognize half of these names. Like I, I don't ever remember Jeremiah George. Like I, I don't, I don't remember Brandon Dixon. I don't remember them doing anything in the league. The other guys are like Dexter McDougal. I remember him. I remember like different stories about different ones. Like Calvin Pryor. I actually wrote this on a story for the athletic. He was, and we'll, we'll always go down as one of my favorite players to cover because the guy was a hell of a quote. He was just so cocky and full of himself that he would just go spout and just give you like this insane cry. I mean, some of the best stories I have from him is I remember I talked to him uh, before training camp, and this was after the, after the 2015 season, before 2016, where he had that one good 2015 with Bulls. And he was supposed to take like the next step and be like a Pro Bowl player. So I asked him, I was like, you know, who's your, who are the top three safeties in the league, like in your opinion? And he rattled off three guys. I think it was like Tyron Matthew, uh, Eric Berry, and I, can't, I actually just was reading the story because I wrote it for the ledger um, back when I was writing for them. I think it was like uh, Earl Thomas was the other one that he rattled off. He says like those three guys. And it took like this like dramatic pause when he's piecing them together. And I was like, oh, well, like, why do you think those guys are great? Right? Like, well, like what about those guys, in your opinion, makes them, them elite? And he goes, uh, they have that it factor. And I was like, oh, it's a good quote. And he like pauses, just stares at me. So I'm like, all right, we'll see. He's going to say something else. I'm like, what is he going to say? And he pauses, looks me like dead in the eyes and he goes, and I've got it too. And I was like, oh, wow. All right. Well, there's my lead, right? Like, yeah, here we go. Good. That's good, good shit, man. And uh, of course, he obviously did not have it because he was benched that year and cut the next year and he was not very good. But he was also always a great quote, man. The other one that he, I remember I talked to him in um, uh, the locker room one day because Travis Kelsey, the Jets tight end, did a uh, dating show called like uh, Cat, uh, Catching Kelsey or something like Marissa might might remember this. I, I it remember. Been a, a, yeah. So he, like, he did like this reality show where like you could win a date with Travis Kelsey, something like that. And the Jets, I think, were playing the Chiefs that year. So I was talking to Calvin Pryor, who might have had to cover Kelsey. And I brought up that like just talking. I was like, yeah, I was like, I saw something about he had like a reality dating show or something like that. And he goes, uh, yeah, he goes, you know, crazy thing. They asked me to do it first. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, I don't really you don't have like star power to be like hey you want to date with the jets like cruddy safety i don't know if that works so he goes yeah they asked me to do it i was like oh no way like why why didn't you like i think that'd be kind of cool i mean if nothing you might get paid if it's good exposure like up the brand a little bit he goes yeah he goes i know he goes they asked me to do it it was just kind of a hard sell for my girlfriend <laughs> i was like what he goes he goes yeah i'm in like a long-term relationship right now i was like i was like wait i was like i Calvin, i gotta get this straight man i was like you asked your girlfriend if you could <laughs> go on a reality TV show to find a girlfriend and find love. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I thought it'd be kind of cool. Like, you know, I woo these women and like, you know, people can see how good of a date them. And I'm like, dude, you have a girlfriend. I was like, that's not how that works. He goes, yeah. He goes, that's kind of what she said. <laughs> I was like, of course, man. Like that guy was great. Like even some of these other ones, like I, I remember going through this, like Jason Morrow. Um, I remember him because the year that I really started to beat like 15, 16, I didn't know, like, you know, you can ask questions, like you tweet out things. Like I remember I used to do like this thing when I first started covering the jets, like, you know, what do you want me to observe at practice? And like, everyone asked me, is Jason Morrow still fat? And I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, I, what? So I remember like asking another beat writer and they were like, Oh yeah. You know, that was kind of like a knock on him coming out of Texas tech was that, you know, he was a little chubby. I was like, okay. So I like wrote a big story on what Jason Morrow was eating. Uh, Dexter McDougal was a good guy. I remember him. He was a, a, a nice yeah, yeah, of course. There we go. Maryland pride. Um, <laughs> he was a good guy. And he was somebody, the Jets, he actually looked good at times. And you, you, you kind of wonder what he would have been if he didn't tear up his ACL 
Uh, Jalen Saunders was cut right away. Shaq Evans was cut right away. Dakota Doder stuck around. Like I said, no clue about Jeremiah George. I don't remember that dude for anything. Same with Brandon Dixon. Uh, none were turned out well. Trevor Riley was a hell of a quote, really unique, unorthodox guy. And then NM Polly obviously is, is best known for uh, smacking Gino in the face and, and really propelling Jets to a 10-win season. But my favorite story about IK was, and not to like, totally, I mean, it's the offseason, it's April, we're all quarantined. I'm trying, like, we're doing this podcast because I was like, dude, I'm so bored. Please, can we do something? And then Polly was like, he used to do this thing, the training camp before he knocked Gino out, where he would, like, after training camp, uh, after every training camp practice, the Jets bring like a couple guys up to a podium, like a makeshift podium on the outskirts of practice and the media wait there for those guys. And then the coach will come by. So bulls would come by and talk. And like, if you had one-on-one scheduled, they would occasionally like bring players over to talk to you in that little tent area. So when we were all there, often like the distance, like 40, 50 yards away, whatever was IK. And he would like line up by the goalpost and that padding underneath the goalpost and like go through pass rushing drills for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes 40 or 45 minutes. And he would just work on like this technique, that technique, this technique, that technique. And I remember like watching him cause it's hot as hell, man. It's like a hundred and something degrees, just brutal, brutal temperature. And like, he's out there just grinding after like a two hour training camp practice. So I did like a one-on-one with him cause he was having a pretty good camp and like looking pretty good. And you know, the whole thing, like do the jets have a pass rusher that we've been asking for the last uh, like, 13 years I think now right 19 since 2006 um 14 years since 2006 and and he was like always doing this so I, I asked him and I was like I was asked the Jets for one-on-one with him they gave him to me and I'm talking to him I was like you know okay like what are you trying to do so he explains like all these um like techniques that he's trying to learn and like how you can swim this way and play. he like hit me once too like he and the dude was that was the strongest mofo I've ever seen like he didn't try to he just like touched me I almost fell over and this was when I was still had that 40 pounds from like from college so I wasn't like a little kid and like I got I was like dude you got some strength man and so like I said to him like towards the end of the interview I was like all right okay I was like what's like your goal like you know like the cliche like oh maybe he gives me like some cool anecdote or whatever I was like what's your goal and he goes you know Connor he goes, I just want to look back on my career someday. And I'm not shitting you with this quote. He goes, I just want to look back someday. And I want to say, damn, I did that. And so I am not kidding you. Four days, I run the story. Four, with that is the lead quote. Four days later, he knocks out Geno Smith. It's like mission accomplished, man. For as long as you live, you're going to be able to say, damn, I did that. I don't even know if he has a sack in his career, but he will always be able to say that. And I remember I wrote the story for... I might have run on scout.com because I wasn't at the ledger yet at that point. I was, I, it was my first year covering the Jets. It was like 14, 15 or whatever. Or 15 was like my first full season or whatever with them. And uh, I remember I ran that story and IK obviously punches out Geno Smith. People start searching for his name. And what they found was like my tweet that had that quote in it. And it exploded. It had something like 700 retweets in like, in like a day after being like this minor throwaway story about like a bubble practice squad linebacker. And it exploded because of that. But Man, that, that day that Gino got punched was one of the craziest I, I remember covering. And, and IK is uh, – I'll tell you what, Jets don't have too many bright spots over the last few years, but that 10-win season is one of them. And, and it's hard to imagine they do that uh, without Ryan Fitzpatrick under center for 2015 and, and Fitz isn't under center if it's not for, uh, for good old IK and Impali. See? So that class, that draft class, uh, infamous, but plenty of stories to tell about yeah. it. So they not just all, all stunk. Bad. Every player stunk. <laughs> certainly the did. Like, they're all terrible. They're like bad. Like I remember I did this story for on the on the redo, right? Because we have to do these blitzes for, for the athletic. So I did this like redo and I started like looking at these names. I was like, who the hell is Brandon Dixon? 
I was like, I, this is like three years ago. Like I, like I, I covered this guy. I don't remember Brandon. I remember like random ass people too that I cover. Brandon Dixon, somebody was like, who the hell is Brandon? I don't like what? Like I can name, rattle off all these random ass players. We'd be like, oh, you actually covered that guy? Brandon Dixon's one I've just spent a year with the dude. Never heard of him before. Same with Dr- Jeremiah George. Like I don't like, who is that? And he was like a fifth round pick. It's crazy. Wild, man. What a draft. Good old Idzik. Good old Idzik. All right, on to Frank Gore, and it's a it's a weird transition because you go from Anunma, who's still in a what should be his prime, and terrible injuries have kind of taken his career away. Then you have Frank Gore, who's entering his 16th NFL season, but you remember back to his college days. This is a guy who had two ACL surgeries on the same knee when he was at the University of Miami, and you thought – this guy's going to have like a three-year NFL career. Maybe there's no way that knee holds up. And here we are 16 years later, the guy's 37 years old and he signs on with the Jets. Maybe one more, one more run for Frank Gore. Um, There was some different options out there. Obviously the Jets needed some depth after the draft when they got a little bit at running back. Um, But, but you said in your story on the athletic Connor, Adam Gase loves this guy. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times I talked to Gase last year about Frank Gore because Look, I grew up a diehard football fan. Like that's, I wasn't a Jets fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I just loved football. So like for me, it was always like a Sundays where you wake up at, at 10 o'clock, get breakfast from mom. And then from 11 to 12 o'clock was ESPN pregame. 12 to one o'clock was Fox pregame. Watch the one o'clock game, watch the four o'clock game, NFL prime time. And then I stayed up for as much as the Sunday night game as I was allowed to before my parents said, you got to go to bed for, for school. So I love football. And when, uh, this is one of the things I love talking to Josh McCown about too when, we, when he was with the Jets. And now one of the reasons why I can't wait to meet Frank Gore is when these guys were in the prime of their careers was kind of when I was a kid watching football like as a kid, right? I mean, I'm 28, so I'm not, I'm not that old. So you're thinking of these guys 10 years ago. That's when I was 18, 17, 16 years old. And that's when these guys, like the players that they played with earlier in their careers were the ones that I grew up like idolizing. Like when I was on the playground, it was running around yelling, you were Dante Culpepper to like Randy Moss. Like that's what you did. You know, Steve, like that's that. So these guys were like playing in that era. So I remember talking to Josh about it forever. And Frank is the same one. And, and I remember as a kid, like watching Frank Gore play, which I probably won't say that to him because that's probably a little (laughs) offensive. But I remember like as a kid watching Frank Gore play. And the thing that always stood out to me was like, he was never great at anything. And he wasn't like the fastest. He wasn't the strongest. He was good at, he was really good out of the backfield, but he was just one of those dudes who just did everything well. And when you look at his career, and you look at the statistics that he has uh, compiled throughout his career, it just fits that. He has just been one of the most consistently good players without being great that I think almost has ever played this game. I mean, the guy, he had, he had that one massive season in 2006, or I'm looking at it now, where he ran for 1,600 yards, almost 1,695, so basically 1,700 yards and eight touchdowns. Aside from that, though, he's never had more than 1,214 yards in any one season. It's just been like 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, 1,100, 1,100 every single damn year. And the fact that the guy is still doing it is amazing. And I remember talking to Gase about it last year about that. Like, how has this guy been so consistent? How is this guy so good all the time when literally he plays a position where the average shelf life is like two and a half years? And he said, he, I mean, the quote he gave off the record, the quote he gave on the record, the way that he ran and raved about this guy was that when you see him play, when you just see him in action and in practice, this is what he does. He just works and grinds and takes no plays off. And he's just, he's just loves it. He loves football. He loves playing. He does everything he can to keep playing. And he's just an, an infectious personality 
for these guys to be around and the perfect example uh, of a leader that the Jets want to to kind of uh, to to not only compliment Le'Veon Bell but LaMichael Perrine I mean you can't think of a guy that that's better to learn from and and Perrine is a player that you read a lot of the scouting reports he kind of sounds a little bit like Frank Gore he's he's got good build can catch out of the backfield not really fast but still quick not really strong but still powerful he's kind of like that same sort of player and if he can learn or pick anything up from a dude who's lasted this long and been this good for this long uh, he, it, it'll be a good thing. I mean, look at the guy, the guys run for f- more than 500 yards every year of his career. That's, it's amazing. It's crazy. And that was my next question was it was 722 two years ago under Gase with the dolphins. He was down to 599 last year as he kind of early in the season, got a good amount of carries. Then he kind of took a step back into the shadows, I think for that bills team. Um, so how much work does he get for the jets here in 2020? I can tell you the 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 days of force feeding Le'Veon Bell the ball are over. I mean that's not that's not what the Jets are going to do this year. I think that they believe, and and there's probably a feeling over there that that hurt their offense a little bit last year. That that it was that they were so focused on getting Le'Veon his touches and getting Le'Veon this and trying to get Le'Veon Bell going. Not so much I shouldn't say force feeding Bell the ball. I mean that's the wrong terminology. But they were so focused on let's get Le'Veon going, let's get Le'Veon going, let's get Le'Veon going that I think they missed out on what actually would have somewhat helped the offense. And that if they got the offense going, that in turn would then have gotten Le'Veon Bell going. So this year, the Jets are going to ride the hot hand. You know, if Bell gets the first three three touches of a game or the first 10 touches of a game, and he's averaging like 2.2 yards a carry or two yards a carry, then they put in Frank Gore, they put in Perrine, and one of those guys busts a run, and, and then suddenly, you know, they got five carries and they're averaging like six yards or something like that they're going to ride the guy who's having success and they're going to keep giving the guy the ball that's having success, which wasn't necessarily the case last year. There were several times when Bilal Powell was given the Jets more than Bell was, but they were giving Bell more touches. So I think that's what you're going to see is that I don't know if Frank Gore is going to be having like 300 carries this year. He's not going to have 200 carries, but it's going to be uh, maybe like a 20-10-10 split most of these games with rushes where it's, you know, if the Jets are really humming and they're really running the ball, it's, it's 20 rushes for Bell, 10 rushes for Gore, and, and maybe five or 10 rushes for Perrine. And, and maybe that'll flip and move around if Gore's having a good game or if Perrine's having a good game or if Bell's having a good game. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic plays out. I, I personally probably would have – I figured the Jets would have added another running back. We've written about it before. Um, I would have gone someone else other than Gore. I think that it, you could have gone with like someone like Theoretic and, and you would have gotten more out of the passing game. Carlos Hyde's maybe a little younger than what Gore is and coming off a thousand yard season. Lamar Miller is out there. He's a faster guy. Could have given the Jets team speed. I would have gone with one of those guys, but I mean, Gore is again, he's a consistent player. You know what you're going to get with him and, and Adam Gase absolutely loves him. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how that rotation works and how it does break out but it's going to be a split and it's going to be something where the jets this year are riding the hot hand. It's not just going to be bell, 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 bell. And then when bell's legs are falling off, they put someone else in. No, they're going to, they're going to ride the player that's having the success. Yeah. It'll certainly be interesting to see. All right. One more thing before we get to the questions that is Sam Darnold talk to the media uh, on zoom. We've spoken about that and, and uh, your attire Connor, but we should get to what was actually said, which was, not a lot of anything because that's Sam Darnold. That's the quarterback that the Jets have, and they're happy to have a guy that isn't going to really make any headlines with what he says. Um, Ginger Eli, though, we're going to call him that, I guess, from from, from now on. Um, I saw there was a comment in your story. Somebody said, I'm totally cool with Ginger Eli if it means two Super Bowl rings. Um, but he basically, you know, he knows what to say. He hits the cliches. He says what he's expected to say, and then you move on, right? 
Yeah, and and look, I, it's as soon as like the the Jets sent it out that Sam was talking. Obviously, you tune in and you go on and and you want to hear what he says. But the guy, ever since he was drafted, he's he had one slip up, and that's it. And that's when he kind of gave the Patriots that bulletin board material, which they used as a rallying cry before the seeing ghosts game. Uh, where I forget the exact word that he said, but it was basically like the Patriots defense can be had or they're like, you know, they're they're just like any other deal. Something, it wasn't even like a, gl- a glorious like back page quote, but they're the Patriots and so they're going to take anything they can get. And they used it as a rallying cry, right? So, I mean, that was, that was one thing. So uh, aside from that hiccup though, he's just very bland. You know, he, he's good if you get him one-on-one and you can ask him about football specific things. Uh, he's good when you can uh, just talk to him about another player or about somebody else, but he's also, he's so media, he's very media savvy. And I think that's a testament to USC, the guys over there. It's a testament to, to the Jets too, breaking them a little bit with just, you know, this is what you want to say. This is what you don't want to say. I mean, we had, we had one-on-ones with him once and uh, as, shortly after he was drafted his rookie year, we're basically like every beat writer gets a, a one-on-one with the player and you can talk to him for 15 minutes or so. And, and, uh, the cool thing about working for the athletic is that I took that opportunity not to get a story out of Sam, but just to get to know Sam, just to talk to him for 15, 20 minutes about him. And the first like two questions I asked him, I remember I said, I was like, oh, Sam, you're like, before you got drafted, I wrote a story on your high school coach and, and whatever. I was like, he seems like a pretty cool guy. And he like goes like full, like Sam, he goes, yes, you know, my quarterback, my coach in high school reminds me a lot of actually Todd Bowles here with the Jets. And I was like, dude, I was like, Sam, no recorder, no recorder on. <laughs> It's just you and me talking, man. Like you can just, let's just keep like the, no, there's no need for that. Just let's just bullshit for each with each other, with each other. And he immediately changed. And you kind of like got back. He's like slapped down in his chair a little bit, slumped back. He started asking, like, he's like, dude, how do you get into writing? Like, how do you get into being a football writer? And then like, you kind of got him on a personal note. So he's better just like talking to than he is on the record. And he's never going to be the guy that gives you like the great comments. He's going to be good for like background stuff, which is what, Kind of, again, reminds me of Eli Manning, where Eli is the dude who's very media set. You can always talk to him, always available, always able to, like, if you're writing a story on, you know, this player and you need, like, two quotes on that player, he'll help you out with that, but he's just not going to make the big, juicy headlines. So, again, yes, yesterday when we are talking to him, it's like, well, you know nothing great's going to come out of it, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what Sam says. It doesn't matter what, what, he, what he talks about. He can come out and say – I'm going to be an all pro quarterback this year. Or like Eli did in 2011, where he came out and he said, I'm going to be elite. I believe I'm elite, which is like the one thing Eli Manning has ever said that was headline worthy. It doesn't really matter if, if, if Bell or if uh, Darnold says that it doesn't matter what he says, because all it is, is about him doing and him and him going forward here and showing the jets at the end of this season that he is a franchise quarterback. He doesn't have to say it first. He doesn't have to, to guarantee the playoffs. He doesn't have to promise this. He doesn't have to say, I'm putting the whole team on my back. You know, like the, it doesn't, he doesn't have to do that. He just has to go on the field and actually show it because the jets believe right now that Sam Darnold is a franchise quarterback. They do the Mike McCagnan believed it. Joe Douglas believes it. Adam Gase believes it. Jeremy Bates believed it. They all think Sam Darnold's going to be a franchise quarterback, but you don't know yet that he is a franchise quarterback and you can blame and I wrote this I wrote this yesterday you can blame the offensive line which has been terrible you can blame the lack of receivers because he doesn't have he hasn't had a bona fide number one receiver since he's been here and you can blame the coaching because Jeremy Bates was utterly dreadful and Adam Gase you can give him criticism as well for the Jets offense this past season I mean you can criticize and and rip a million things as far as why Sam Darnold didn't take 
the ascension this past year that you saw Deshaun Watson take in year two, Jared Goff in year two, Carson Wentz in year two, to an extent Mitch Trubisky in year two, Deshaun Watson. I mean, you can make the excuses that are there for Darnold. They are valid and they are warranted because, again, didn't have the offensive line, didn't have the receivers, and to some extent has never had the coaching. But it still doesn't erase the fact that you don't feel about Sam Darnold what you feel about those other quarterbacks yet. You don't know if he's going to be all pro top 10 or is he just going to be pretty good average above average. I think it's very clear and obvious right now that Sam is not a bust. He's not. He's, he's not going to be a bust. He's not Jamarcus Russell. He's not Brady Quinn. He's not a bust. He's, he's a decent – you know already he's a decent, good player. You just don't know, though, is he all pro, pro bowl, top 10 yet because there are those – accuracy issues sometimes there's the decision making where he forces the ball where he turns it over where he struggles here struggles there there are things he still needs to get better on and this season no matter what Sam says no matter what Sam does or no matter what Sam says doesn't matter you just need to know at the end of this season what you have in Darnold after three years you need to know what this guy is is he good but not great is he great is he kind of like you can win with him, but you need to give him help. Is he someone who can elevate the play of all of those guys around him? You don't necessarily know yet the answers to those questions. The Jets need to have the answers at the end of this season. That, that is a, a must. And I think the rebuild offensive line, while it's not great or, or amazing, it's certainly better than what it's been throughout Darnold's career. I think he's got some good weapons to work with, assuming Chris Herndon stays healthy, Denzel Mims isn't a bust, and, and Brashad Perryman continues to play like he did the final quarter of last season. The weapons are in place. The offensive line's better. The coaching staff, you think, is going to be better. Now it's on Sam to take that, take that next step, and it's imperative that he does. Ginger Eli, quite a bit different than Broadway Joe. I think if the Jets do manage to make it to a Super Bowl, yeah, no guarantees coming. No guaranteed victories coming from Sam Darnold. All right, uh, good stuff, and we have lots of questions in the chat. Marissa, what's first? Um, so talking about Sam Darnold's numbers next season, Taslam wants to know, prediction for Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell's stats next year considering the o-line improvements and gore coming in taslam quickly becoming a friend of the podcast loyal listener yes yeah, yeah loyal listener there we go um <laughs> i these uh, you guys you guys love like stat predictions like the hell if i know what the, the guy's gonna do um but i think you, i think four thousand yards is isn't i mean everyone's throwing for four thousand yards in the nfl so i think you should definitely have i think you should definitely have four thousand i think the touchdowns should be should be in the 30s i think that's something that that he should absolutely accomplish i think those are, are pretty much uh, staples of a very good quarterback. I mean, you have quarterbacks that aren't that good throwing for those numbers. So I think the completion percentage needs to be over 60. I think it should be at 4,000 yards passing. And I think the 30 touchdowns and the interceptions, I think as long as you're, I mean, Sam's a little bit of a gunslinger, so he's never going to have three, four interceptions in a season. He's just not, he's going to, he's going to throw those 50, 50 balls where sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't because he's going to trust his receiver, trust his guy to make plays and the other thing is that Darnold doesn't care about stats. So if the Jets are down by three touchdowns, he's going to be, again, kind of similar to Eli Manning, chucking him down the field, just realizing, like, look, we're going to lose this game anyway. But if I take this chance and, the, you know, maybe it's a, a thrown a double coverage, but something crazy happens, that could flip the tide of the game. So he's never going to have five interceptions in a season, at least I don't think. But if he has 12 or less with those 30 touchdowns, you'll take that. And with Le'Veon Bell, I think 1,000 rushing yards. I think he, for him to be over 1,000 yards is good. The rushing touchdowns, I don't know how the Jets are going to do their goal line carries. Is that something they're going to look for Perrine? But uh, if he can have uh, uh, like 1,500 total yards or 1,600, 1,700 uh, total yards, when you think about like, you know, 1,000 yards rushing and then are 500 or 600 yards receiving, I think that'll be a, a year that the Jets will take 
from Bell. I, I don't think he's going to have 1,800 rushing yards and another 1,000 receiving because the Jets are going to work these other running backs in. Uh, but he should definitely be in that like 1,600 probably total yard mark. One of Gore's strengths, I think, like from a fantasy perspective, I know over all these years, one reason fantasy lovers have always liked Frank Gore is because he's always been a guy that coaches like to give those goal line hand- handoffs to. I wonder if that'll be a, a thing with the Jets or if they'll keep feeding Bell on the goal line. Yeah, either one. I mean, I think that, that'll that'll either one work because it's, I mean, that, Bell's a good, Bell's a powerful dude too. I mean, right. he's a big guy. Like, like people don't realize that about Bell. He's big and he's thick. Like he's a, he's a strong player. And uh, I, you would think that's pretty beneficial for the uh, for, for near the goal line. What's next, Marissa? All right, we got a lot of questions about wide receiver depth. Are there any avenues out there that the Jets could go? Des Bryant. No, 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 no Des. Uh, I, I think the the wide receiver depth was a the 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 depth at the receiver position is one of the reasons why. I was kind of surprised the Jets didn't draft anyone other than Mims. I thought that they were going to, without a doubt, add someone else. Even if it was in the sixth round, if they traded back and got someone in the seventh round, you know, a height, weight, speed guy that maybe could develop or a flyer or something like that. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think you're going to right now find anyone in free agency, a veteran in free agency that's going to be, you know, catching 80 balls next year. I think the Jets are probably going to go into this year with what they have for this year. And that's going to be Jamison Crowder in the slot. And you're going to have Rashad Perryman outside on one side. You're going to have Denzel Mims on the other. And then some players that they kind of like that are coming up. I mean, I know they like Vincent Smith. He's a height, weight, speed guy. And, and well, not so much weight, but he's height and speed. And he has speed that you can't really coach. So they like him a lot. Braxton Berrios is somebody that I think could have a, a legitimate role this year. Uh, you know, the funny thing is actually Bill Belichick called Adam Gase after the Jets picked up Berrios and said, like, this guy's a good player like this. Like you guys got a good one here. He's a good player. He just we couldn't wait for him to get healthy because if you remember when the Jets first claimed Berrios, he had a hamstring issue. The Patriots needed their guys to play right away. They needed everyone on that roster to contribute. They couldn't simply like have Berrios sit on the 53 and not play. They needed somebody who would. So they made the tough, the tough decision to cut him. The Jets were able to get him, and you kind of saw, aside from the return game, at little bits and pieces last year, he had that one, I forget who it was against, uh, where he caught like a slant and just took off down the field for like a 60-yard gain or something like that. Uh, you have saw little flashes of what Berrios can do, and now that he's entirely healthy, back in the same offense again, I think he'll have a little bit more of a role this year than what some are expected. So I'm sure there's some veterans out there for agency, but no one that's really going to contribute more than what the Jets have now. They're going to be running with this. And the other thing not to, to write off is um, – Chris Herndon is that people kind of keep forgetting how much the Jets love this guy and what the Jets think this guy is capable of. And for him to be healthy this year and back on the field with Darnold, who we had great chemistry with as a rookie, uh, will be a, a big jump to the receiving game, even though he's not technically a receiver. All right. Well, I feel like we ask this question every podcast, but until he goes somewhere, we're going to keep asking it. Any chances, Clowning. Joe? Yep. You know it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, look, here. From what I understand and what I've heard some things about Clowney, because it's very surprising to me that the guy's still not signed. And it's not just money now. It's it's not, this isn't just a money thing. I've heard that there might be something going on with his, that, that there might there might be something going on with his, his knee, that there might be an injury concern with Clowney where he's just not, that, that that's a problem. That it's, and, and teams right now are not able to look at his knee. That, that because mm-hmm. of coronavirus and COVID-19 and all this stuff and everyone being quarantined, they can't fly Clowney to their facility, look at his knee, and be able to really determine what's going on there before they write him a check for 
at this point, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 million dollars a year. Cause I don't, he's not obviously getting 20. He dropped his price to 18. He's not getting that either. So teams just are not right now willing, I think, to give him the money that he would consider taking because they can't look at his name. They basically have to rely on, on another, on an independent doctor to tell them this guy's okay. They want their doctors to look at this and make sure he's okay. And I think that as long as he's a free agent, there's the possibility he could join the Jets. I mean, he'd fill a need. He's a, he's a, a pro bowl player when he's healthy. It's just a matter of, is he healthy? And I think that Douglas has a price he's willing to pay and a price that he's not willing to pay. And if Clowney's willing to, to come for that price, then maybe it's an option, but uh, I still don't necessarily see it as, as likely. I don't see it as probable. I mean, it's still technically possible because he's a free agent, but um, I, I think until I, I just, I find it hard to believe the Jets would, would give him 10 million plus when they don't know what's wrong with his leg, which is what I would, which is why I think he's still unsigned right now. So yeah, I guess it's technically still possible, but I, I don't know if it's, it's probable or anything like that yet. Anything else, Marissa? Oh, we got a good one. This is from okay. Connor Dunphy. Seems like you're a pretty big golfer, Connor. What's your favorite course and your handicap? Oh, Did you get out go. this week, Connor? Is that what I saw? I've been out twice already this week. And that's but okay, everyone. Murphy. For everybody out there, and New Jersey has opened yeah. up the yes, golf course. but that's impressive. So he okay. opened it last Saturday. So if you've been out twice already, it's Wednesday. It's Sunday and Monday. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going tomorrow, too. I've got a, I've got a tee time tomorrow, too. Um, handicap's not good. I actually just started playing. That's the crazy thing is that a buddy of mine, uh, one of my best friends from high school, um, it'll be my best man at my wedding. Um, we like, they built like a top golf behind his house, uh, two years ago. So last year we went with like BS at top golf. I'd never even picked up a golf club before. We had a blast. Next day we went to a driving range. I had a blast there too. And so I was like, you know what, this golf thing's kind of fun. I'm actually going to try to learn to play. So I got some lessons and, uh, I mean, I shoot in like, when I go now, if I'm playing well, I'll shoot in the nineties, I flirted once or twice with breaking into 80. Uh, but it's pretty much, I'm like a mid nineties golfer right now. And I think I, I know I get, I get frustrated with it all the time. And then people tell me like, dude, you've only been playing for a year. Like it takes years before you're actually good at this game. Uh, but it's, it's so addicting and it's so much fun. And just to, like, see the little things you can get better at and improve at it's It's great. But, uh, favorite courses in the area. I live in Princeton. So I play a lot of these courses that are around here, Mercer Oaks East, uh, is one of my favorites. I like that one a lot. Mountain View is really cool too. I still have family and some of my really close friends live down in South Jersey. So I've played like Ramblewood. Uh, Ramblewood Country Club's a good one and a fun one. Valley Brook, they're both Ron Jaworski courses. Those are fun. Uh, one of my favorites actually, and the one that I'm playing tomorrow is in Pennsylvania though. It's Middletown, uh, Middletown Country Club in PA. And it's just, it's tough, but it is gorgeous. Like for a public course, that one's absolutely gorgeous. And I played Little Mill as well in South Jersey. That's a private course that, that was stunning as well. I mean, they have one hole there. It's a par three where you're up like, I don't even know how high up you are. You're basically like sitting on a mountain shooting down, down onto the hole from like 120 yards away. Uh, but it's a gorgeous course. But yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not great at golf by any stretch. Like I said, when, I, when I'm on, when I'm on and playing, where I, if I walk off the course, I'm like, oh, I had a pretty good day. I probably am shooting like 94, 95. It's like, like, oh, I had a pretty good day. And if I'm really, really on, that's when I'm like low nineties flirting with flirting with getting into the eighties, but it can be, it can be anywhere from that to like one ten, depending on what I'm doing or if I mentally check out. Cause that's my biggest issue. I swear to God, it's like I'm the most mentally weak human being on the face of the earth where one hole goes wrong and that thing's bugging me for like the next three holes. And that just totally ruins golf, which I know is like, you have to be mentally strong. I'm not mentally strong. So, and, it, uh, and especially if I'm playing for pe with people that chirp, like one of my, uh, one of Bree's um, uncles is a big, uh, my fiance's name is Bree or her name is Bree. Uh, and she, uh, her uncle is a, uh, a big chirper. He's a big guy who like, likes to get in your head and talk trash. And 
he knows that as soon as we step on a tee box together, he starts going and I'm, boop, I'm out. That's it. And like my, my whole round's going to, you know what? We should definitely play then Connor. Cause I'm in the same boat. Mid nineties. Um, there we if go. I'm yeah, un- there we go. if I'm under a hundred, I'm fine. <laughs> it's there we not go. good. Can't wait. Um, Can't wait. Yeah. Marissa, you play. No, get Marissa I'll, out there. I'll come for the fun. <laughs> yeah, there, I'll come yeah, to that's chirp. Like, yeah. I'll come yeah, to chirp. Go. I'll see if yeah. I can, uh, Make your game worse. <laughs> there you go. That's what, that's what Brie said. She was like criticizing your outfit, and you know. There you go. There you go. I remember talking to Brie about that. She was like, "Ah, oh, she's like, she was like, she's not sure if she wants to start golfing or not." And I already know, like, she doesn't want to golf. That's not what she wants. She could care. She would. She would. She just wants to sit in the golf cart, listen to country music, and drink. Like that's all she wants to do. And like, <laughs> like, like have the sun beaten down and look at all the nice grass and walk and do all that. That's what she wants. She wants the golf cart, the country music, and like having a couple of drinks on the course. That's it. And then. I'll play golf. I'm like, you know, I don't think you realize that. Like, I can just, I can see it now. I bring her golfing once. First shot that I slice, she's going to be sitting there saying, isn't it supposed to be straight? And she's going to be, get see, the car. Yeah. I'm very competitive, but if I'm not good at something, I don't like to do it because I don't like to lose. So I'd have to go. practice a little bit before I, you know. And then you can, yeah, you'll, you'll be kicking ball. You'll be, you'll beat Tim and I bad. Yeah. You'll, you'll take like two days to practice and say, she's, she's <laughs> shooting in the eighties. The Tim and I, we're gonna, the Tim and I are going to be losing everything. I can picture uh, Bree now. It's, Connor, no, no, nice shot right on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're, so is, are, were you trying to go to the sand trap? Is that like where you were aiming? No, Bree, it wasn't where I was aiming. So I, could, I, I can see how it's going to go already. I know how it's already going to go. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, but keep it locked on to The Athletic and all our podcasts while you're still waiting for games to come back. The lead continues to give you an inside look into some of the top stories in sports. This week, they discuss Miles Garrett's trip to Tanzania following the notorious Hellman hit against Mason Rudolph last season, plus Korean baseball. That's back. You can actually check that out on ESPN this week. Uh, the impact of Michael Jordan's shoe revolution, all of that stuff and more on the lead with Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. And you can save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic or to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait Podcast for 40%. For Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in again. 